Revelation 7, 9, 17. Después de esto, miré y he aquí una gran multitud, la cual nadie podía contar, de todas las naciones y tribus y pueblos y lenguas que estaban delante del trono y en la presencia del Cordero, vestidos de ropas blancas y con palmas en las manos, y clamaban a gran voz diciendo, La salvación pertenece a nuestro Dios que está sentado en el trono y al Cordero. Y todos los ángeles estaban en pie alrededor del trono y de los ancianos y de los cuatro seres vivientes, y se postraron sobre sus rostros delante del trono y adoraron a Dios, diciendo, Amén. La bendición y la gloria y la sabiduría y la acción de gracias y la honra y el poder y la fortaleza sean a nuestro Dios por los siglos de los siglos. Amén. Entonces, uno de los ancianos habló diciéndome, Estos que están vestidos de ropas blancas, ¿quiénes son y de dónde han venido? Yo le dije, Señor, tú lo sabes. Y él me dijo, Estos son los que han salido de la gran tribulación y han lavado sus ropas y las han emblanquecido en la sangre del Cordero. Por eso están delante del trono de Dios y le sirven día y noche en su templo. Y el que está sentado sobre el trono extenderá su tabernáculo sobre ellos. Ya no tendrán hambre ni sed y el sol no caerá más sobre ellos ni calor alguno. Porque el cordero que está en medio del trono los pastoreará y los guiará a fuentes de aguas de vida. Y Dios enjugará toda lágrima de los ojos de ellos. If you would turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. I don't know if I have mentioned this, but each week as we are hearing the Bible reading in a different language, those are our church members who... Uh, have that gift of uh, being able to speak more than one language. Uh, I would not be reading any of those languages. Uh, I, I'm only English. I'm so sorry uh, to disappoint, but English is all I have. But so thankful that we have a, a church uh, filled with people from all around the world, and we consider that a gift. And certainly even hearing that again today was that reminder. Um, Remember how, if you have been here the last few weeks, we are speaking of each portion of this book of Revelation as it reveals to us what God has in store for us. And, and that each portion is like peeking through a window uh, or pulling back a curtain to see yet another aspect of God's ultimate plan of redemption. That's what Revelation is. And so we've talked about this, and, and I mentioned even the first week that I will be saying this uh, likely every week, and this is another one of those reminders. So the, the book of Revelation is a series of apocalyptic visions intended to make known the clear promise of Christ's coming return and eternal reign as a means to offer hope, expect obedience, and inspire worship. I, I really do have this 
desire that for all of us, uh, this has been my, certainly the case for me as I have been studying this book, um, that I will kind of go with that thought in mind each time. So each time we come, that's why I'm reminding us of that. But uh, sometimes it's just good to be reminded that, that they needed hope some 2,000 years ago, and we need hope today. They needed to be reminded to obey the commands of the Word of God, just like we need to be reminded to obey the commands. They needed to, to be encouraged and see the glory of God that they might worship Him just like we do. And so in those same ways, it is my prayer that, that this study over these weeks would provide that for us. So with that in mind, it is helpful for you to know that while the first three sermons um, were fairly cut and dry, right? Uh, again, we talked about a little bit last week. Uh, there's not much debate about them, right? The, the, the conversation that all comes around the book of Revelation really starts in this chapter today. Uh, trying to understand what all the imagery might mean. And as you can imagine, my study has been filled with all kinds of opinions, right? Uh, everybody has an opinion. I mean, I have one. All of you have one. Um, and if you've studied this before, you, you kind of created an opinion. I mean, maybe it's been because somebody else has uh, taught you something or you've heard something or, or simply as you're reading through, you're starting to say, I wonder what that means. And so you start to make some assumptions about what it might mean. Um, but I want you to know that, uh, that some of those differences, while some will be very slight, some will be very drastic, I'm so thankful that I'm able to serve alongside staff members, elders, deacons, church leaders, life group leaders who disagree with me on some of these matters. This is not, this is, well, one, I, I hope that's a sign of unity, that we can, we can disagree on things and still serve for the glory of God with the gospel as our focus. So um, I, I hope it will be that, but let's, again, let's not let these things that we may disagree on be the stressors. I want us to remember that it's okay to disagree on what really are third tier matters. Okay, so I would say first tier, those are like primary gospel. Here's what we believe. Here's how one is saved. Here's how, like, you can't lose salvation. You don't earn salvation. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, right? And this is taught to us through Scripture alone. We, we have to believe on those things. Those are first-tier issues. Second-tier issues are things that make up, like, denominations, Okay, there are disagreements enough that we decide to go to a different denomination. So like uh, Presbyterians, we would agree with them completely on all of those gospel-centric matters. They just believe differently about baptism and some uh, church leadership matters. But overall, we're going to agree on first-tier matters. Second-tier gives us a different denomination. So Pear Orchard across the street, who I... Uh, really, really appreciate them, love their pastor, and, and encouraged by what they do for the glory of God. We just disagree on some of those things. Third tier matters are matters in which we can be in the same church, in the same denomination, and agree on first and second, but it's totally okay for us to disagree on third tier matters. This is 
third tier matter. What we will talk about today and really much of what we'll discuss in the book of Revelation is that. So with all that said, Revelation is not intended to be read. Here's, here's where it could get a little tricky. It's not intended to be read chronologically. It doesn't mean we don't read it from chapters 1 through 22. It, it means that it, it, it doesn't, uh, you don't necessarily see it as though it is a timeline. Even if you follow in the coming chapters, there are breaks. There are concepts that are repeated, things that we hear again. It's, there's concepts all dealing with the number seven and God's delivering of punishment. And while they all build on each other, they do not appear to make as much sense if we read them chronologically. So think about this uh, as reading something cyclically. Again, that's not something we are typically accustomed to doing. If, if I were to write a book, uh, a story, a narrative, then I would write it chronologically. That's how our mind typically thinks. But this doesn't appear to how uh, John had those revelations brought to him. So as we seek to understand more of these truths in these chapters, I want us to do this first. Let's begin with an understanding of the sinfulness of man and the wrath of God. Like, was it... That didn't sound like a fun place to start, Chad. That's okay. Let me be clear. I do not want, as, as I'm about to read, I, I think y'all know this about me, but there are guesses about what each horse that we're about to read about means and what color, the, the reason for the colors. And, and I think that that is an okay thing to do and ponder and consider. That is not what we're going to do in this sermon while we are going to study them. I think I agree with Robert Mounts, who said it this way. Reviewing the various interpretations assigned to the four horsemen tends to rob the contemporary reader of the dramatic nature of the vision itself. It is good to place oneself back in one of the seven churches and listen to the visions as they are being read. Instead of discussing the probable significance of each of the four colored horses, those first listeners would have recoiled in terror as war, bloodshed, famine, and death galloped furiously across the stage of their imagination. Right? So, so hear this. Chapter 6. I watched when the lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come! I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the, the second living creature say, Come, and out another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that men should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand, and I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarii, and three quarts of barley with four denarii, and do not harm the oil and wine. He opened the fourth seal, and I heard the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. They were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with famine, with pestilence, and wild, and by wild beasts of the earth. See, this, this picture, this, these, these horses are 
aren't just for us to ponder why would there be a pale horse, why would there be a bright red horse, but to see that the sin of man is exemplified in the wickedness that is revealed. Sin of man is exemplified in the wickedness revealed. Again, remember, so right here at the beginning, this one, this horse, uh, horse and his rider come out and it come, a crown was given to him and he came out, why? To conquer, conquering and to conquer. This is, this is not a pleasant feeling. When, you, when we hear that, sometimes we think, oh, he's coming to win, but this isn't, they're not on our side. This is coming to destroy. In fact, then the, this red horse comes out, bright red, permitted to take peace from the earth. Not to offer peace, not to give peace, to take it away. Opposite of peace, war. Strife, turmoil, struggle. Black horse comes in. The rider had a pair of scales in his hand. This is, this is a picture of injustice as it's described in just a moment. Pale horse, maybe even pale green. Kind of think of what someone looks like uh, right before they pass out, right before something doesn't go well, right? It's that they lose their color, they, they go pale green. This is what's described here. They're given authority over the earth to kill. And the name of the writer is death. Conquer, take peace, deceive, death, terror. All of this is the description given to remind us that people are very evil. We are far too often inundated with the idea that everybody is good. The world is just, and that, that we kind of, we, we messed that up. Like, we did. It's called sin. But we start, like, because of sin, we're born sinners. The only reason anybody does good is because of the grace of God. You and I then, all people, were deserving of God's wrath. We were deserving of this kind of punishment. We were deserving of these four horsemen to pour out the wrath of God. Honestly, as, as much as I wish that this were not the case, some of you might still be deserving of the wrath of God because you have not turned from your sin. See, the Bible does say that we all deserve that punishment, but by the grace of God, by, by the gift of God through Jesus Christ, there is a way for you to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. Like This is, this is where the, the shift becomes really good for us, right? There is something that we deserve. We deserve punishment. We deserve judgment. But by God's grace, he offers to you a way out. Because that punishment has been, that wrath has been poured out on his son, Jesus Christ, when he died a death on the cross, conquered the grave. So while, while there is 
The sin of man is seen, is exemplified in these pictures. The judgment of God is expressed in the wrath that is released. So there is judgment that is deserved, right? Because of our sin. And so look at the next few verses. Uh, Verse 12 and following. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The, the sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and, and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks and the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. From the great day of, the, of their wrath has come, and who can stand? That language, earthquake, blood moon, black sun, stars falling from the sky. There's all kinds of, like, just loads of, of imagery here from the Old Testament and New Testament. You can go to Isaiah 13 and 24 and 34, Ezekiel 32, Joel 2, Habakkuk 3, Matthew 24, Mark 13, over and over. Then again, you'll see it later in Revelation 11, Revelation 16, this kind of description, this, this imagery. We'll talk about this again in a minute, but they don't even want Like they wanna be smashed by rocks and mountains before they find themselves in the presence of the one who doles out the wrath. Listen to how William Hendrickson writes about this imagery. He says, try to visualize what John saw. Taking the, the picture as a whole, heaven itself curling up like a piece of paper, rolling up a scroll. The sun, its light blotted out so that it resembles a black sack used in mourning. The big, full moon, a huge, all-inspiring blood ball. Stars turned out of their orbits and plunging into the earth in great showers. The earth itself quaking violently so that every house crashes to the ground, every mountain and island suddenly just disappearing. Can you imagine just the picture of dread and despair? Just the the weightiness of that. So yeah. Thinking of sin and wrath this way is not pleasant. But I want us to, to shift as it seems John does as the Lord reveals this to him to the glory of God and the response of man. So we thought about sin and wrath in this way. When you get down to it, the glory of God really is what it's all about. Right? I mean, Let's consider like what all that looks like and and understand about his glory. The glory of God is reflected in his sovereignty over all. This word sovereign, that he is the one ruler. 
we've heard descriptions of, of God like King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That is because he is, like there is no king that supersedes him. He reigns and rules over all kings, all presidents, all prime ministers, all rulers of this world and of any false world. He, he rules and reigns over them all. I want you to, to catch this uniqueness here. In these, these few verses, this is one part that I, I think is really important for us. If God is in complete control, the question we often ask is, why is there still evil in the world, right? Why is heartache still happening? Why is there still cancer? Why is there still COVID? Why is there divorce? Why is there heartache and heartbreak? Why is this happening? And I want you to, to see this, and, and you'll, you'll see hope in just a minute, but know this, that he permits evil. Be, be careful with not hearing what I'm not saying. You know what I mean? Don't, don't try to make this into something I'm not saying. I'm choosing those words carefully. He permits evil. And here's how we know this. Uh, verse two, all right? There's a rider and a bow and a crown was given to him. You get to verse four. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth. And he was given a great sword. Verse eight, they were given authority. Chapter eight, verse two, the seven trumpets were given to them. Chapter nine, verse one, he was given the key. Chapter nine, verse three, they were given power. Chapter nine, verse five, they were allowed to torment. Chapter 13, verse five, and the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words and it was allowed to exercise authority. Chapter 13, verse seven, also it was allowed to make war. Authority was given. Satan, demons, beasts can do nothing without God's permission. They have no authority, no rule, no reign. There is nothing that they cannot do. He allows it. He permits it. If he stays their hand, they stay. Like, they, don't, they don't get to roam in that same way. It's allowed. It's given. God permits evil, but he purposes good. So, so think again. Think about how those, those early readers who might even be currently, I, I mean, like as they're hearing those words, have been a family in prison. Maybe they, maybe they have bruises, scars on their body from being beaten for proclaiming Christ. They're, they're asking the question, where is he? Why is there still evil? As, as Nero crucifies scores of Christians, don't you think they would be wondering why? Is there earthquakes? Suffering seems to be abounding. Maybe that's, that's not the specific in your life. 
maybe in your life, something else is crumbling. Maybe there's something with your health. Maybe it's in your marriage or your parenting, your kids or your parents, school, relationships. It just feels like everything's crashing down. And you feel like those horses aren't just, aren't just like they're trampling over you. I mean, even hear what they say in, in verse 10. O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? I don't, I don't want you to just put yourself in their shoes. Put yourself in your own shoes. There is a global pandemic. Nations around us right now are crumbling. Infrastructure is collapsing. Suicide rate is increasing. Divorces is permeating the church. Cancer still exists. Depression and anxiety are at an all-time high. But remember, church, hear me. Christ is in control, and God is ultimately sovereign over all. None of this is out of his hand. So while the, the glory of God is reflected in his sovereignty over all, the responsibility of man is displayed in his need to obey. Right? We can certainly be thankful for a God who rules and reigns over all. And we can find ourselves hoping in him so many times uh, we can quickly go about our merry little way or even our sorrowful little way and, and not obey what has been set before us. So I want us to, to read even further on as we want to obey what the word commands of us, expects of us. First, to humbly repent. Turn to, to chapter 8. In just these first few verses here, I want you to, to hear, again, this is, we're going to come back to chapter 7, so hang with me, but in chapter 8, it says, When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stood before God and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense with the prayer of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. The angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. There is a, a silent surrender taking place here. You see, you and I, we do not want to see God face to face unless you have been saved by him. You might think you want to. You might think, man, that would be really great. But do you remember all that we talked about at the beginning just moments ago? Wrath, judgment deserved, sin committed, 
I mean, Revelation 6, right? We just said, has people asking to be crushed by mountains just so that they don't have to see him. Notice in this, though, there's, there's not screaming. Instead, it's just silence. The judgment of God is, is so awesome. Not like um, cool awesome, but, but so large and inescapably terrifying that it stuns silence. I wonder, are you going to be able to see God face to face? And I know that um, that some of, uh, some of you even grew up in churches that would talk uh, with, with phrases like hellfire and brimstone, those kind of preachers, right? And there still exists, there's still plenty. Um, it's because hell is real. And there is there's something in that that should cause us to fear for all eternity, spending apart from God. And, and, and it is real. And so I want you to hear this. Hear this kind of, of warning, this kind of alert, not, not from someone who's just banging on a pulpit, but from someone who's pleading with you, don't spend eternity apart from Christ. Pleading with you as we like, see this as a warning and as, a, as an answer, you can humbly repent of your ways, of you thinking that you've got it figured out. If you're going about it in your way, in your time, you're shaking your finger at God and saying, well, if you would just alleviate all the evil in the world, I would come to you. Guess what? If he alleviates all the evil in the world, you're out. I'm out. Like, this is what we were describing, right? Where we are sinners, evil, wicked. Like, this is what's in us. We're born into this. Not only do we, are we born that way, but then we choose it on a regular basis, but, but by God's grace, he has made a way through the lamb, through the suffering sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He said, I'll stand in the place for you. I'll take the punishment so you don't have to. Oh, right now, you don't even have to wait till the song starts. You don't have to wait till later. Right now, you can turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. Repent. I turn away from what you think is right and trust in what is being made known to you, what is being revealed to you through the very word of God. Trust that Jesus is Lord and that God did raise him from the dead. Humbly repent, please. As you humbly repent, completely trust. Completely trust. Now, rewind just a little bit and go to chapter seven. beginning of chapter 7. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal, this is important, the seal of the living God. 
So they're, they're being like uh, stamped, approved. He called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we've sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Then there's right, 12,000 from Judah, 12,000 from Reuben, 12 from Gad, then Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Isaacar, Zebulun, and Joseph, and Benjamin, all sealed, 12,000 from each one, 12 times 12, right, 144, right? As you can imagine, there is not enough time for me in this time to uh, consider all of the options by what might mean by these different uh, numbers and all of the things. So uh, I want to share some quick thoughts on this I think will really be helpful. Take note that uh, servants of God, that's mentioned in verse 3, right? Servants of God is mentioned in verse 3 is a term that is always used in Revelation to describe the saved, Right? So every time it's used in Revelation, this is describing those who are followers of Christ, the saved, the redeemed. And, and here, this number 144,000 is really a figurative representation of a, of a number that is uh, meant to be a symbol of completion. We'll see 144,000 again in chapter 14, also to describe God's people. There's lots of beautiful, uh, Use of the multiples of 12, right? 12 uh, throughout the book. 144 cubes high, 12 foundation stones, 12 apostles, 24 elders that we saw last week. No other time in this book is there a mention of the Jewish church and the Gentile church apart from each other. They're not, they're not described separately. This is the church. Act Ephesians 1 has already made that clear, right? So if you read Ephesians 1, uh, like 3 through 14, you will see that. It gets to near the end of that passage. It's talking about all the Gentiles get brought into, which is really good for us, by the way, that we, for most of us here, we're brought into this. We're not of Jewish descendants. We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That, that seal, remember I said stamped approved, that comes from the, the Holy Spirit using the same language as in the scripture. This passage instills such courage, such encouragement. Think about it again. You're hearing, you're a Gentile believer, hearing, and they're not, they're not being swayed by the fact of this, the, the names of the, uh, the people. They're not being discouraged because they're, they're hearing all this. You can make it through any persecution because the God of all creation has sealed you in Christ because the conquering lion is a slaughtered lamb who gave himself for you. I realize that many people believe uh, that this tribulation that is being described is a very specific time period, but every other time in Revelation it is used it is, regard, is in regards to ongoing challenges believers walk through. So we must keep that in mind as you consider whatever your stance is on that matter. So again, let's, let's remember this. We want to humbly repent. We want to completely trust in the one who would seal us in this way. And we must boldly proclaim. Boldly proclaim. As we look in these texts, we see 
martyrdom. Chapter 6, he opened the, uh, the fifth seal, verse 9, saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God. They were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of the fellow servants and their brothers should be complete. There's still more martyrs to come. Chapter 7, verse 13. Who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? They are ones coming out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now, no matter what is unclear about the 144,000, what is clear is that God is telling the churches then and the church now that suffering and persecution are to be expected. We, we do not expect it enough. I mean, just look at texts throughout Scripture. We're told to expect danger, persecution, temptation, fear, sacrifice, suffering, martyrdom. Like, that's, that's what's ahead. And some of you are thinking, I thought you were trying to convince me to join this thing. No, what I'm telling you is that it is worth every bit of that to get to what Christ offers us, not just for all eternity, but for right now, because he gives us hope and strength in the suffering, in the turmoil, in the heartache, in the danger, in the persecution, in the temptation, through the fear, taking us out of fear. Matthew 24, they will deliver you up to tribulation, put you to death. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. I want the end to come. If you want the end to come, we better get to work. We've got work to do because I don't know when that will happen, right? Other than what this text says. So I know that I, I've got work to do. And until he comes, our task is to proclaim with boldness. So I believe that it is worth it for the Dar Hamid people of Sudan who have no access to the truth of God's word, for the Buryat of China and the Mokai of India, for the people of Iraq and Syria, people that, that we, we have such access so we are gonna be with people we are called to be a people who take that access and give it to others. I believe it's worth it for you to tell your neighbor, for you to tell your coworker and your classmate, your teammate, your friend, your family members about the love and offering of Jesus Christ so that they do not have to spend eternity in hell. I mean, let's talk practically, right? If you believe in Jesus and that his return is coming, like this week, will you join in making a commitment? Like this is a, a real thing. Will you commit with me this week to share that truth with someone else? Anyone, like you'll, you'll call up your neighbor. You'll go, you'll find a, someone from your class reunion. You will, you'll like catch up with a friend at work. Maybe there's somebody you've been praying for specifically by name and you've been asking God, please rescue them, save them. This week, like you have six days, 
Monday through Saturday, will you commit to this week sharing the gospel with one person? That's a task that, that we all, all believers have that in us. We have the ability to do that. Would you commit to this week sharing the gospel this week? And again, so we humbly repent, we completely trust, we proclaim with, with boldness, and we confidently praise. Don't think that I wouldn't come back to Revelation 7, 9. This text that, that we read together last week and this week, hey, worship with loud shouts. Listen to this. Listen to these words. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. See, this is a, this is a pause in the seals, right? It's like a, it's like a break. Why, why 144,000 and now multitudes, right? Before you get all of this description, there's 140. I heard, verse four, I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000. But then he turns and what does he see? He doesn't just see 12 tribes. He sees all tribes. Remember how just last week I mentioned this, that back in chapter five, John heard a lion from the tribe of Judah. But when he turned, he saw a lamb that it was slain. Now he hears 144,000 and he turns and sees a myriad of men and women from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Will you join? Will you join with people from every nation, tribe, and tongue and sing of the praises of our God? Will you shout with exclamation? There is one who has saved us, has offered salvation for you. Maybe it is this morning that, that you know you must repent. I plead with you today. Repent. Turn away from your sin. Trust in the one true God. If you have questions about that, we are here to speak with you, answer those questions, pray with you. Maybe it is you're going through something particularly challenging and, and you want someone to pray with you just over that. Because as you hear this sermon this morning, you're reminded of your difficulty. Not just that difficulty is out there, but that you're walking through it. We have people who would love to just pray over you, pray with you right here to my left in this room. So as we sing songs of praise, a song of praise before our God, let's all respond in the way that the Lord is leading us to do so. Just stand with me as we respond.